Welcome to Sparks and Recreation, your source for info on community events, meta-analysis, and everything Hero Realms. Part of the Realms Rising Network. Heroes of the Realms, welcome back to episode 14 of your favorite maritime laced podcast about hero realms strategy sparks and recreation that's right the ss sparks and rec is back in port and i promise guys this will be the last week that we go with the maritime motif but please, we've, please we've come this far it. yes we've come but aren't far. you like an oceanographer jig like isn't that your daytime <laughs> job or something like you're like a professor of the seas or he, something he, like, he's just a fisherman and he acts like he's something special Hmm. I'm just a, um, I'm just a humble I mean, fisherman. Just, fishermen okay. are special. I mean, you know, <laughs> so anyways, uh, here we are once again, it's great to be back. It's been a couple of weeks. Um, we, three of us are on the cast this week. I was going to go with the crew reference again, but we, you know, we've, I guess we've all decided that's run its course. Um, joining me as always is agency 13, Tim McKenzie, the, uh, that's a good one to do this week. Let's do the double-aided or double-bladed axe to my magic mirror. How are you today, Ooh. my friend? That, I like that one as well. I'm doing pretty good. You are a double-bladed axe too. I mean, and the I, five I, don't, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I'll take it. A double-bladed battle axe, my friend. That um, sounds like I'm. I'm. Mean you're badass. And, no, and, you're and, badass, and, dude. Come on, you're double bladed. And a jerk, so cutting, <laughs> cutting on both sides. Which is totally true sometimes, so I'll take it. Uh and uh as you can hear, um gleefully laughing in the background, once again, our own Chris Double Dubs. No, Walbert. No, not not double dubs, it's Deeble Doobs. Deeble Doobs. Deeble Doobs. Yeah, well, you know, you got to tune That's into the stream. That's how you pronounce it. To catch up on all the, okay, the crazy well, memes you guys, that are you guys, you guys go with Evil Dubs. I'm, I'm sticking with double dubs. I'm sticking with the old school <laughs> retro. You know, it's hard. Old old habits die hard. Um, it's cool. I'll, I'll always be double dubs, too. You know, it's just it's an evolving thing. It's like an Deeble evolving D. situation. I, I, I re-rolled a ranger and named him Deeble Dubs. Oh, yeah. Deeble Dubs. Yeah, Agency because it was Deeble perfect. D. Deeble D and so there's, a... there's a Tweedledee and Double Dubs d- joke. <laughs> Deeble Dubs and Double Dubs or whatever. <laughs> Makes awesome. no sense. Uh, the listeners are going to be wondering how many dubs were involved uh, before the making <laughs> of this podcast. Uh, but... No dubs, but I did play. I did play at uh, my library. Put on a board game night at a local bar, so I've had a couple of drinks before recording. Ooh, very nice. cool. What did you play? Library. So we played Skull and we played Suro and we played Quacks of Quedlinburg. Sounds fun. My wife played some exploding kittens while I was playing Quacks. So always a crowd pleaser. Yeah, I've heard Quacks is great. What's the premise on that one? Quick, Quacks is pitch. awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a pressure luck um, bag builder. So Ooh. if you like, if you like deck builders, bag building is pretty similar, and there's a pressure luck element. So I'm not going to go too far into it, but I love it. Okay. Okay. Well, that's cool. Well, you know. He, he, us here at Hero Realm Central love us some deck builders. So, and pressing our luck. 
and pressing our luck. Oh, speaking Big of pressing money, our luck, no whammies. <laughs> speaking of pressing our luck, uh, that ties into this week's theme, which is actually going to be talking about pressing your luck or uh, calculating risk and acting on it. So we've got a really interesting discussion ahead of ahead of us. I hope you stick around for it. Before that, though, um, oh, I guess we should mention that we are indeed um, sackless this week. You might have noticed the absence of um, Sam Scrap Force, Sack Force Parsons. He Snack is. Force. So- He's somewhere in Europe, is the last I heard. Uh, I think he's in uh, Portugal. At least that's what he's claiming. I think he's actually at home on his couch, and he's just lying to everyone. So Watching Portugal YouTubes. (laughs) Anyways. Not even that. He's just just eating tapas. (laughs) Well, there's worse things he could be doing. Anyways, we miss you, Sammy. And uh, we will do our best to um, step up the inappropriate jokes and uh, uh, expletives as well. But hopefully, maybe we can even avoid the uh, explicit uh, label this time. We'll see. Anyways. Let's see um, how far we can push it without crossing the line. That's going to be the fun. <laughs> over on, it would fit with the theme. <laughs> we should have taken over on Anyway. Um, very quickly, I just want to do a little housekeeping, and then uh, we'll, we'll kick things off. First, I just want to talk about the uh, logo design contest that we had on Discord. Uh, through the month of August. It was really awesome. We had many entries. Um, I think the uh, main entries were from Vegna Prime, D13, Dakaran, uh, who submitted a bunch, um, and, uh, of course, Zabuza, who ended up winning the uh, logo and, design And Jig, contest. you did one, yeah. too. I and threw Jig, some in there, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was my I mean, idea. just because yours weren't very good doesn't mean you don't get a shadow <laughs> trying (laughs) they were they were fine buddy i'm just they were fine they were fine no but i just did it to kind of but the boozes was awesome it was anyways it was fun other ones i really liked too yeah uh really glad we did it everybody did great uh there was some really excellent um entries in there and like i mentioned even the ones that weren't that didn't win hopefully we can dust them off and bring them out for special occasions for for certain things so uh, thanks again for everybody for participating in that. It was a really cool event. Um, and thank you for that. Uh, also, we have a few new uh, patrons as well who have joined us. Tim. Nice. Do you want to uh, mm-hmm. give our heartfelt thanks to these awesome people? So in the last couple of weeks, uh, we 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 had some new patrons. Uh, Miss S-Freak and Mr. Eindeloos, uh decided to... Uh, be patrons for our show as well as all the other great patrons that we already have mr deeble dubes himself um, that he likes us so much he wants to be on the podcast and give us some of his money i don't know it's that for the server costs boys yes um but also uh Noodle you're the best Toolpay, um logan k stewart uh daily 23 there were some like one-time donations, I think. We had one-time donations, but yeah. these are the people that uh, think we're cool enough to give us money every month and help help <laughs> with the hero helper server costs, help with you know all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, thanks to you guys, it. and thanks to the one-time donors too, because they I, I know not everybody can do the PayPal patron stuff. So, um, yeah. Anyways, thanks to everybody for that. Tim, did you have any other housekeeping stuff you wanted to go through? 
so one thing that I want to talk about real quick is uh, Gen Con happened a few weeks ago, and Silent Owl was there, and he picked up some promos. Uh, he he got an extra payoff promo, and I want to say I'm counting them in the envelope right now. One, two, three, four, five. To not the outcast promos that we are going to give away to listeners of the podcast. So I'm setting up a uh, Google form where you just go in, you put your IGN and like a way to contact you, either like email or Discord or whatever. And we'll randomly draw people to win those and we'll contact you and we will ship those to you. So um, thanks to Silent Owl for those cards. And everybody, if you want a chance to win some of those, we'll put the links in the show notes. Yeah, I was going to say, this is available to listeners of the cast. We don't intend to distribute the link on Discord so that people who you know yes. aren't listening are entering. This is going to be exclusively for you, the listener, as a thanks for your support. So be sure to check out the show notes so that you can get that link. And, and how I plan on doing it is I'll just randomly assign like numbers or whatever for each spot. It'll randomly pick a person. So... I'm not going to decide who gets the payoff and who gets the other ones. That's all going to be random. So Awesome. And we will announce the winners on the next podcast. That is how we will announce it. So right. We'll also contact, we'll contact you directly if you win it, but we'll also you know announce you as well. <laughs> uh, so when you put your, uh, when you submit, will you, when we announce the winners, we'll just announce your IGN. We won't announce your full yes. name, but we'll just announce the IGN. Yeah. Cool. No, we're gonna awesome. we, we're gonna need your address, your social security number, your bank account <laughs> number, and we're gonna put all of that on the air. So and just one credit card, just one. Yes, <laughs> preferably yeah. Visa Master. We're, we're not going crazy here. <laughs> Great, yeah, cool, awesome giveaway, guys. Definitely check out the ch- the uh, link in the show notes and take advantage of that. We how what's the deadline for entering that, Tim? Um, this is gonna release. This podcast will release on the nineteenth. Well, why don't why don't we give it two weeks for people to uh, submit stuff for it, and then maybe it won't get announced on the next podcast. It might depends on how soon we record. I can make a quick recording and just add it to the next episode yeah. right so, before we release. All right, yeah, so we'll give so, them two weeks to do it. So awesome. the uh, 29th of September. The 29th is the deadline to uh, click on the link in the show notes and submit your info. Awesome. And you get some awesome promo cards. We'll we'll also put some pictures of those cards in the show notes as well. So you can see what you're going to get. And just so no one's too worried about missing out here or anything, it is worth shouting out that these should be available on the Board Game Geek store eventually. Mm -hmm. So we definitely want you to enter the contest. But if you don't win, you'll still have a crack at these sweet promos. I know for myself, I really want to get a copy of each, especially um, Payoff. Is that the name of it? That one looks sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, we're on video awesome. to talk about this and I can show it to the other host, but <laughs> nobody else will see this. So, yeah. Um, well, read it really quick. A, what does Payoff do? Payoff is a guild card. It is a four cost action. It gives you four gold. And you may scrap it to pay double target champions cost to gain control of it permanently. <laughs> so uh, it gives you lots of economy and it lets you steal a champion. So that's pretty cool. That's in uh, play. It, it, Is it, that correct? Or um, from a discard pile or 
you're you you wouldn't be able to target like a champion that's not in play. I would say okay, because so you wouldn't know it's in their hand, it. I guess. Right. Yeah. It's okay. it's not going to be from their draw pile. It's not good. You can't access their discard pile. Discard it doesn't pile. say okay. that, okay. so it would have to be that in is, play. That's brutal, actually, because then you take one of their active. Yeah, you wouldn't have to spend damage to take it out. You spend gold yeah. to take yeah. it out, and then you it's like a keep two it. for one. Yeah, that is so cool. Awesome. And then what is the other one? To not the outcast is a unfactioned card. It costs six gold. It is a six defense non-guard. And you draw a card. Target opponent may discard a card. If they don't, you deal six damage to them. So you always draw a card, and then your opponent either discards or takes six damage. Uh, that's pretty good. And a six defense is... Nothing to to scoff at. So I mean, Definitely. pretty cool card. And he's he's factionless, right? That that guy. Yes, no faction, no faction. Yeah, interesting. Which is probably indeed. a weakness, at least in the base game, to be factionless. And another like small criticism is that like you might refer to that mechanic as like a punisher mechanic because you know the opponent is being punished. But the downside of that is that your opponent always gets to choose the thing that's mm-hmm. not as bad for them. And you're it, kind of putting it, that in your opponent's hands. Most of the time they're gonna get to choose. If you already are making them discard too many cards, they're gonna take that damage. Right. But at that point you already won. <laughs> let's not downplay the card too much here. We're trying to get people to sign up to win it. Okay? Oh, right, so right. Yeah, no, it's a sweet card. Yeah, it's not, really powerful. Not, let's not and dump all over the yes, card while yes, as we're trying to get time, to Most of the time, your opponent <laughs> is going to discard a card. But the, the uh, art on the card is really cool. And he doesn't even have abs that he's showing off or anything. Which, so. okay, so if it's an abless artwork that's still garnering Tim's attention, you know. You know, <laughs> there's a really cool like lizard around like on his shoulders and stuff it's really pretty cool yeah okay all right well that was uh again very <laughs> taut riveting uh housekeeping uh talking about so our first giveaway about now right <laughs> <laughs> anyways exciting times you can see how excited we are about our first giveaway here guys and we hope you take advantage of it um all right, let's wrap up this intro here. Double Dubs, take us out with a quick uh, overview. What do we have in store for the rest of the episode today? Of course, I'd be happy to. It's going to be an awesome episode where we go into a what would you do scenario that uh, had some great community discussion and some great points that we're looking forward to getting into. Our main topic will cover risk analysis. After that, just a couple more segments. We'll be taking a dive into the build lab and analyzing some choices for a particular build there. And last but not least, of course, is the community roundup where we'll be highlighting some events and uh, whatnot in the community. So it should be a great one. Stay tuned, folks. What would you say? you do here all right everybody welcome to your favorite segment my favorite segment jig's favorite segment agency 13 segment that he loves to do at the beginning of the show so it is (laughs) it's my favorite what would you do analysis segment 
Yes, exactly. It's totally your number one of that variety. So the first thing I want to mention here is that we have screenshots available for this, which are going to help you follow along and also be able to weigh in. The screenshots are on Discord. They're on the Realms Rising webpage. There's a link to that in the show notes. Another note about the discord there is a what would you do channel that is very active not only does the show post a regular scenario to be evaluated by the community and discussed um there's also community members themselves that submit their own scenarios and we get a lot of great discussions posted there and discussions recently nivik and dandy have been making some excellent posts that we appreciate and so we'd love to see what all of our other listeners have to either weigh in there or present their own with all that being said i'm going to go ahead and get into what would you do number 14 in this matchup we've got a couple of level 12 heavy hitters it is a ranger up against a cleric piloted by decat says meow eloquently named fart squirrel which skunk if you don't get the joke there (laughs) maybe it's not funny if i have to spell it out that's fine (laughs) um so our ranger is a pretty standard build we've got flawless track the four three track we've got snapshot we've got cloak and then we've also got crossbow quiver and flash fire arrow our opponent has made a breastplate cleric build featuring divine resurrect minor resurrect bless of steel uh veteran follower along with talisman and redeemed ruinous so gaining some life having a strong champion to punch with um and so yeah a solid uh build that's been doing well for decat i believe the market row is very spicy we've got some super hitters on there from left to right we've got rally the troops deception tyranor elven curse and street thug we have a crossbow in play with six economy we have not tracked and we have not used our ability tyranor is being reduced by one due to the horn of calling and so we can basically purchase anything on the row except tyranor with the possibility of doing something with either our skill or ability to maybe make a reach for tyranor so with all that laid out um i'm gonna go ahead and pretty pretty quickly say what i would do which is pop off the ability to hope i get tyranor and if i miss go for deception my two favorite cards there they're both super powerful and i think they're good in the matchup we had some great discussion in the community though so i'm gonna hand it over to jig who's gonna take it away on what the community would do scenario 14 what you got jig great job there double those could not have done it better myself Amigo, um, thank you. I just want to say really quickly, I would not only would I do the same thing you did, I did do that is what I did in this game. And as I mentioned in the Discord, I ended up bottom decking Tyranor and I lost this game. Um, yeah, and people were pretty shocked to see that I did, but uh, <laughs> it happens. You know, it really happens. And this actually, before I jump into the Discord, and I've said it before about bombs and bullets and missiles, or, or I forget how I framed it, but <laughs> well, putting. Uh, putting all your eggs in one basket with Tyranor, if it um, bottom decks for you, can uh, backfire. So anyway, let's take a look. You're playing a really tough opponent too. So like you have to play really well and have the luck on your side to beat this fella. So yeah, no, but this was literally one of those games where Tyranor was the last card 
uh, on that next shuffle. Yeah. I got him out. He was immediately, um, you know, I didn't get yeah. much out of him. And then it was probably a while before he, it, the game was over by the time yeah. he got out for a second time. So anyway, it happens, right? Let's take a look at Discord because we had a lot of really good um, answers and discussion here. First, we'll take a look at like how the voting went for this um, for this scenario because surprisingly, we had eight votes for um, deception here. Um, only one person voted for rally, and that was actually uh, Scrap Force. Uh, there was no votes for the um, curse. There was no votes for the street thug, unfortunately. Um, to, I'm sorry to report. Um, and I think only user cafe uh, actually talked about burning the headshot for Tyranor. So according to the voting on uh, discord, eight, 80% of the votes chose deception. Interestingly. Wow. Um, now, yeah, which is actually, I think probably the best choice. Okay. Well, especially considering <laughs> how my game turned out. Um, Andalus chimes in and says, uh, normally he'd lean towards curse, but he'd take deception. One, you want to take away the economy from the cleric. And two, you will still get rally or curse your next turn anyway. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, then we got into a discussion actually about firing off your headshot. And what were the odds of getting enough gold to be able to afford Tyranor? Because I think the we ended up going through different calculations, and I think the actual correct calculation was it was over eighty percent. It might even be like eighty-five percent. Yeah, close to me, eighty-seven even, eighty-seven percent chance. Maybe like a six out of seven chance that you will get um, the gold to pick up Tyranor. But you have one in seven chance that you won't and you'll fail. So if you burn your headshot and you miss. Again, that's probably game over for you. But for some people, that's acceptable. Some people, it wasn't. And I think um, one of our uh, user uh, our Discord members, um, I'm scrolling through the uh, chat right now. I think it was Peter Panic. He chimed in and he was saying, um, my biggest problem with the ability about using your headshot here is that there's a one in seven chance of ruining your next turn as well. Right? I would actually argue it could actually ruin your game, possibly. I don't like to take a 20% chance to lose turn two in a favored matchup. So he's basically, he's actually calculating some odds here and says, if I have a 20% chance to burn this and miss, that's too that's too risky for me. Um, so that's why he went with um, And I think not just not just to miss, but to miss really bad and leave yourself at a disadvantage when you are advantaged in this matchup. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Totally, because that um, that headshot against the cleric can be used in many different ways, right? And if you use it to try to yeah. reach for something and you miss, you leave yourself exposed, and that is exactly what happened. No, I actually got Tyranor, but it didn't matter in the end anyway. Um, so, uh, and we had other backs, backs, and or back and forth about this, but basically, this is how the discussion went, and I this is a really interesting turn of uh, discourse because this connects to our main focus discussion, which is also going to be focusing about risk analysis and how to act on that. And maybe what is an acceptable risk for some might not be for other people and so, so on and so forth. So this is kind of an interesting preview for what's coming ahead in the episode. Um, Tim, 
you've been silent yes. so far uh, with I this have. scenario, and something tells me you have something in store for us in terms of how you would attack. I, this I have scenario. some thoughts, and I'm going to try not to ramble too much with them. Um, <laughs> and I purposely didn't write this down in the Discord, even though I wanted to a couple of times. Um, because I wanted to have it fresh for the podcast and see how people reacted to it. Mm. But I think I would actually track here um, because mm. there's a really big chance that you track and you end up drawing your whole deck that first term and end up with Tyranor. If you can get the two arrows out of the four out of seven chance, if two of them are arrows, you put them in your discard, you draw everything with your snapshot. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you don't get both of them, but you get one of them, you're still going to end up with like deception or whatever. Or if you decide you don't want to waste your snapshot or not waste it, but use your snapshot, you're still going to end up with rally the troops or elven curse. Either one of those is a great card to have in this situation anyway. So like, I feel like I want to track to speed up my deck. Hmm. And then I can stack the stuff and have a better chance for my next turn if I don't hit the arrows how I want to. And so, yeah, maybe I am using my snapshot early and maybe I still only end up with Tyranor, but I also end up drawing through six more cards than I would have just by using snapshot mm. here. I yeah, you'll get too. to that Tyranor faster. Yes. Mm. And less I, likely dude, to honestly, just bottom deck everything. I think that's the right... I think that's the right move here. I <laughs> think you've convinced me because basically you're, you're spending, uh, this is my, uh, which one is this? Oh, this is last. It's a two, so it's a four, two. three track. Yeah. So you spend two gold, but, um, you basically you're get see to have, of them. you get to see what's going to happen before you make your decision mm-hmm. on whether to burn your headshot or not, your snapshot or not. Right. Which is great. I, I really like that. Very, very worst case scenario. You end up with rally the troops. Yeah. yeah, and, and that's not that, a bad word. <laughs> it's a great example of how you are managing the risk. So like the way that I had suggested of just burning off the ability, um, the ceiling on that is that you get Tyranor and you're happy, but the floor is that you get Bow and <clears throat> you have to get Rally or Deception and you're not as like in control of it. Whereas if you track first, you're able to control what you're risking in the game there a little better and yeah. know... Is it worth my snapshot here? And, and, and I think when, when you track, the chances of you hitting Tyranor are probably less. I'm sure because it's going to be like a, you'd have to hit two cards in the four out of seven. So that's definitely going to be less than like 85 or 87% yeah. or whatever it was mapped yeah. out to be. It's going to be closer to like 50% or something. But you can also stack up stuff for your next turn or decide, well, I got one of the arrows and I, I'm going to have my quiver and all of this stuff. And so you can end up, well, I'm going to get deception anyway, but then I tracked and I set stuff up really good for my next turns. Yeah. It really seems to me like that decision brings the odds of hitting the peak power down a little bit, but you bring like the the floor up a little bit. Way up. You know, that's and, what and, it and, and I'm not saying down. it's the I'm not saying it's the best pick. That's what I would do. I think there's like three valid lines here that you either yeah. track and do like what I said and delay that decision and then decide. 
you risk it and you take the Tyranor and you put yourself in the situation where you could get really screwed if you bottom deck this, which is what <laughs> happened to Jig, or you play it safe and you just get deception. Which also leaves you in yeah. a really good spot. But I think all of those have, you know, positives and negatives and it's weighing what you think is worth the risk and what isn't. And mm. The upsides to each one, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. Now, this might be my favorite WWID so far, just from this discussion, and also how <laughs> uh, how greatly it's tying into the main focus as well. So, finally, a, a successful WWID discussion. No, we've always had good ones, but this hey, isn't a special. Hey, you know what I would really do here, Matt, is I would get Rampage. <laughs> <laughs> it's in there somewhere, damn it. It's, it's probably what flipped when you bought Tyranor. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, and this is a word of caution too. And we've mentioned it in previous episodes too. Just because you can get an early Tyranor doesn't mean he's necessarily going to save you. And it's an automatic victory. Right. And, and in fact, you might, you might actually be setting up yourself for a higher risk than you, than you realize, even if you get him, even if you get him. Anyway, I, really great I will discussion, say, guys. I will say even playing Tyranor once scraps two cards, soaks up a bunch of damage, and gives you a decent amount of damage. It's not bad, but when you spend no, yeah. all that gold on it, it feels bad because you yeah, want more. No, yeah, totally. Well, that's what I'm saying. But if you spend um, five on Deception and you you still have your headshot and you're still kind of right. – you still have another move to try to reach for something, then you're still in the you, game. You're that still going to have a good chance to hit Tyranor or something yeah. else. So. Yeah, totally. And Deception will improve that, actually. Anyway. All right. This is a great one, guys. Thanks for your uh, feedback. Double Dubs, you good? I think you've uh, given your... Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. you giving your two Snapshot bits. has value uh, because your opponent's on Breastplate, so that's kind of another reason to hold it. That hasn't yes. been called out. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's true. So, totally. something to yeah. consider. And... Like with the deception purchase, if you were to go that route, there's actually a lot of good one costers that could flip for you. You'd be happy to see profit, spark, or death touch, I think. And you'd be able to scoop that up too. So just another small point in favor of that line. So kind of like the point that Tim made a little bit ago. There are a lot of legitimate lines here, and you just have to like think of what your reason is for going for it and like have a good reason and be playing to that strategy once you commit to it. And I think one of the good things when we run through these scenarios there's going to be the the odds and probabilities and all of this stuff but even if you make the the choice that gives you the best chance to win you can still lose so (laughs) or vice versa you can make the worst choice and still get lucky and win so (laughs) it happens yep that's the game that's why we play the games in the aggregate level the more good decisions to make, the better your chances of winning are and your win percentage will get higher. Yeah. So take our advice and make the best choice. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think we've uh, milked that um, yep. that scenario for about as much as we can. Timmy, why don't you take us into the next phase of the app here? So um, we just talked about what we would do in a situation well, this one, actually, the discussion had a lot of math and some prob and stats and all that fun stuff that, you know, everybody that hates math doesn't want to talk about. So um, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about uh, calculating your risks in Hero Realms 
and uh, kind of some tips on when we think you should act on those risks, when we think that it's worth the risk or not. Um, and I will say that this topic will definitely be one of those things where it's very much our opinion and there are ways to play this differently and that's mm-hmm. okay. But uh, especially for people that are newer or are kind of learning about, you know, the math side of this game and some of that stuff, like this will be a good, uh, good place to get you started. And even if you're a veteran and you've played a bunch, I know I tend to play kind of with my gut feeling a lot rather than mathing things out. Um, sometimes slowing down and mathing it out is really a good way to improve your games. Main focus, calculating and acting on risk. All right, so we have found ourselves in the main focus, risky business, calculating and acting on risk. All right, so as Tim very eloquently kind of uh, segued into the main focus here at the end of WWYD, we wanted to think about a way to discuss the idea of calculating risk. All right, so risk is calculated whenever we make a decision that will affect the game state or what's going to happen next. And RNG is always a really important factor to think about when you're playing Hero Realms. Like you, sometimes it'll go for you. You can't always count things to go your way. You can hope they will, but you also have to be ready for when they don't. And you also have to weigh your decision uh, if you are going to take a risk. And when we talk about taking risks, there's lots of different uh, shapes and forms that this takes. And we're going to talk about some of those later. but just in general, when we're talking about making a decision that might or might not go the way we want it to, how do we weigh whether that decision is worth taking or not? Okay. So that's kind of the big picture of how we're looking at this. Um, Risk can be calculated for anything from buying a card in the market. So if I buy a card in the market, usually the riskiest thing to think about is what's going to appear next. And it's risky because if you can't afford it, you've just given your opponent access to a new card that they'll have on their turn, which they can then use against you. Right? This is one form of a type of risk. Uh, you can even think about risk in terms of um, when to trigger reshuffle or how to shape the deck that you're about to reshuffle, because that will then determine the probability of what cards you get in your subsequent hands. Uh, or even just what is what are the odds if you have to, if you have three cards in your draw deck and one of those cards is the card you need for whatever, to buy something or to kill a champion or even to kill your opponent, but you have to um, expend something to get that, is it going to be worth it? Right. So these are just different examples of how to calculate risk. All right. So I just wanted to kind of give that backdrop. Next, I want to briefly discuss how each of us determine or calculate risk in Hero Realms when we're playing it for various situations, all right? Because I think we do it in different ways. Maybe we're the same in some ways, but I think we differ in others. I also think our play styles are a little bit different as well, which affects things. But uh, Chris, let's go to you first. How do you think about calculating risks or calculating odds 
when you are playing this game. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to chime in first here. So the first thing that I'll say, and this is something we talked about, like in the coming from behind segment, is that if you are in a losing position, um, you will take bigger risks because you have to in order to try to win the game. You know, if the game were to continue as it is now, uh, would you win or lose? And that's a question I ask myself a lot is like if um, neither player to work, make any more purchases and I played my deck that I built and they played theirs, am I going to do I think I'm going to win or lose in this state? And if I think that I'm going to lose, then I have to do something to change that. And if I think that I'm going to win, I'm less likely to do something to change that. So that's kind of the first thing is that like I evaluate the game state and, um, you know, to see how much I'm willing to risk. If I'm winning, I'm less likely to take a risk unless there's some choice I could make that could like surge me forward. Like I'm playing Ranger. I've already made a couple good purchases. And if I sacrifice my ability here, I think I can get firebomb. Then I'm going to totally close out the game and, and probably beat my opponent. So I might take that risk. But the other part of that, that you have to balance it out then is like, what's the upside if you succeed on the chance you're taking compared to what's the downside if you fail on the chance you're taking. So like if it's really going to blow up in your face, that firebomb figuratively, if you don't get it, you know, then I'm a little less likely to take the chance. If it means my my next turn and my whole deck cycle is going to be ruined if I don't get the firebomb and I was already in a pretty good position. So why would I risk that? You know, um, so that's another thing that I'm thinking of. And then, of course, good point there. Always... Good point there. And yeah, just quickly to interject, sorry to interject for our confused listeners at home, the uh, segment Double Doves was referring to earlier, it was playing from behind from episode 12. Um, I, th- I think he was, he must have gotten, he must have been thinking about something else. Uh, now, Double Doves, <laughs> bringing it back, bringing it back. When you, you personally bring it back to coming from behind, when you are um, personally playing this game and you want yeah. to calculate a risk, how do you do it? Yeah, what do so, you do to calculate I mean, There is the hypergeometric calculator, which I believe is perhaps what you may be alluding to here, Jig. I'd be happy to talk about that for a little minute, uh, for a minute. So it's something that I was aware of because of playing Magic the Gathering. That's come up there, and it's basically a way that you can... Um, look at the number of cards that are remaining in a deck, what you consider a success to be, how many draws you have, and how many successes you need to have, and it will give you a percent-based chance um, if what will happen. And so sometimes if I'm playing um, and I know I have two draws and I want to get two gold, I'll punch all that into the hypergeometric calculator And I'll see, oh, I have 75% chance of getting my two gold here. Probably worth going for it because of how impactful this purchase will be. Just another quick note about the hypergeometric calculator. Um, Agency 13 turned it into a fantastic spreadsheet. And it is available. I think it used to be part of the Hero Helper spreadsheet. It's part of Hero Helper, yep. It's still still on there. You just have to to find find the tab tab for it. Yep. 
Okay, so if you are on Hero Helper, that's hero-helper.com, you have access to a great hypergeometric calculator. All the ones that you'll find online either have ads and are worded about Magic the Gathering, or they're totally in, like, math formula, and it might be confusing to so, know what categories to input what. So I really recommend so, the Hero Helper calculator. <laughs> it, it is nice. One of the cool things is... Uh, at one point we were talking about like the probabilities and stuff on discord and there's a Google sheets function for that. The hyper geometric calculator uses it's like hyper geom or something built into sheets. It's built into sheets and it didn't take very much to make it. It's just more laying stuff out. So I'm not going to take a whole lot of credit, but I was like, Oh, that's cool. That's easy. The credit's um, yours, man. I, I I do think that it's really interesting uh, when you're talking about this. That you say you look at the game state from where you're at, and the actual amount of risk you're willing to take changes depending on the game state. So yeah. it's not just like I'm always going to go for it when I have a 75 percent chance to get this, and I'm never going to go for it when I have a 25 percent chance. But when you're behind and you're like, I have to do something, that 25 percent chance looks a whole lot better. <laughs> and when you're ahead, that 75% chance looks worse. Right. Very contextual. Absolutely. So so that's a really interesting statement to me. Totally. And I think well, I agree with that, but I don't always do that. <laughs> don't always either. Well, and I always even think about the opening uh, because there mm -hmm. are some things you can do on the opening, especially with a ranger or a cleric, if you burn your abilities to get, to buy something big, right? You can do with the fighter and his um, draw two ability as well, mm -hmm. right? Go Sweet for that right. huge, big opening to try to get a big card and run away with it, right? And try to take, uh, try to take a risk, take a chance to run away with things. Uh, is something that I probably used to do earlier in the game uh, or earlier in the beta, I think, and I probably do less now. Oh, um, interesting. But I, well, what I'm trying to say is like, different people have different play styles as well. Some people will go mm -hmm. for it. Some people play a little more reckless or, or risky. I'm not, when I say reckless, I don't mean that derogatorily because some people just like to take chances and go for, go for a big, go for a big swing, you know, which is a fun way to play. If you like that, some people are more conservative, like, um, and not to say that Peter is one of them, but Peter said, you know, a 20% chance of using my snapshot, uh, or a twenty percent chance of failure is unacceptable to me. I wouldn't do that, right? So that's one way of looking at it. And he ha he's a really good player too. So um, there's different ways of defining acceptable risks and stages of the game. Right. Whether it's even at the beginning of the game, before it, nothing is decided yet, or if you're right. losing, or if you're winning, or whatever. Yeah. So part of what Peter factored into that, though, as he stated, was that. Um, it's because it's a good matchup that he's not willing to take that 20% chance. If it was a worse matchup, he might've. So that kind of like goes back into the, the context of it all a little bit. Um, unless you guys had something you want to add into that. I did want to rewind back to the hyper geometric calculator really quick. So, so one thing I want to point out is the first thing when I'm thinking about uh, calculating and acting on risk in this risky business is that I'm uh, sliding across the floor in my uh, <laughs> briefs and my button down shirt and sunglasses. Uh, just so you all know that we all need a reference to the, a you. reference to the Tom Cruise movie to the 1986 <laughs> Tom Cruise movie for those, for those younger listeners. I'm not even sure if it's 86, but I think it's the eighties. It's uh, 83. I looked it up. 
<laughs> great. It's actually a great movie. And it is. Tim just pointed out why, I think. Um, anyways, Double Doves has a little um, bit more to talk about this calculator. And we should because it's a really it's a really nice tool. So spend a, spend it's a, a little bit more point. time talking about it. If you're going to use it when you are calculating the number of cards that are in your deck, anything that counts as a draw effect should not be calculated as a card that's in your deck because it's going to replace itself. And the same is true for anything that cycles if you can afford to discard a card from your hand because that's going to effectively replace itself too. So just something to note when making those calculations, if you're going to be doing it, you want to be trying to do it as accurately as possible. Otherwise you're not making the informed decision that you think you are. So um, that was kind of the last bit I had on the calculator. Yeah. Great. Now, now Chris, how often do you use that when you're playing? I, like if I play 50 games in a week, I might use it five times. Maybe. Okay. You know, it's really not a All ton. Right. A lot of times, yep. like it, cause like if you're only drawing one card, then the math is a lot easier. You know, you're like, Oh, my right. eyes are one and blah, blah, blah. So it really only comes up when you have multiple draws or it gets a little more complicated. So that's part okay. of why I don't yeah. use it as much. Yeah. So like, I do you like to use, it, use it on stream. Because it looks cool and people are into it. They're like, oh, it does, snap, it does look cool. Calculator. Well, and, and to be honest, like some decisions are more important than others. If you're if you're in like the finals of an HRPC event and there's a complicated uh-huh. turn coming up, you're, you're probably going to bust out that calculator. If you're just in some That's random Q match. Right. Yeah. How, how, how I'm going to how I'm going to draw after tracking with this Ranger against some random uh, bronze ranked, uh, <laughs> you know, new player is a lot less important than how it's going to be when I'm, you know, playing in a community a tavern brawl or something, you know, where it's like, Oh, I'm playing, I'm playing, you know, Mr. Double dubs himself. And I've got to be at the top of my game to take this guy <laughs> out. Like flatter. I'm more likely to, to look at stuff closer. That's, to bed. that's a really yeah. interesting additional layer of context that I hadn't even really considered. Is that like the, the stakes for which you're playing mm-hmm. might affect your uh, willingness to take chances too. That's awesome. Well, and also your state, if I'm at, uh, you know, in my quote unquote, relax mode on Friday night, after a long week, after a couple of drinks, I'm blasting through games with very little calculating going on. And if I'm playing RT, if I'm playing RT games, I'm probably, yeah, <laughs> I'm probably <laughs> sleeping if I'm playing RT games. To be honest. Oh, but, and then somebody uh, is like, why is this guy not playing their turn when I'm about to win? And you're like, man, I just fell asleep. <laughs> it happens. Happens Anyways, to me yeah, often. Yeah. So all of this does, you know, tie into how seriously do you want to take it? How much do you really want to calculate stuff now? And another thing I'll say too is, uh, the more you play this game, the more natural a lot of these calculations get, and you get kind of a natural feel for it. You don't really have to calculate yeah. stuff as much when you play thousands and, and thousands of games. The, the difference between an 87% chance and an 80% chance is not that big in the big sweep of things. Like it's 7%, which can be huge in a certain situation or whatever. But overall, like if I just look, oh, well, I've got these cards left. I got this much of a chance to draw something, even if I'm off by like 10 or 15% in my calculations, it's going to be close enough to give you an idea. 
Exactly. And that's how I do it. And I think Tim and I are kind of in the same boat here. It, well, double dubs too, I think, because I think we all kind of do this. We're kind of doing I take, some. I take risks just because they're loose fun sometimes. Yeah. What we're, we're doing loose calculations is what I'm saying. Yeah, we're doing yeah. loose calculations that are probably off, but they're in the ballpark and we can make a, an right. informed decision on what to do with that. Now, I also agree with Tim, though, is that I do like to take risks. If I have now, and we're going to talk about some of these next, which I think this this next part is going to be the fun part of this discussion, because now we've kind of framed about um, how we do this, why we do this, how it changes depending on the game state I, or our mind state, et cetera. So, so let me say really quick, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, if you're trying to play the best you possibly can, give yourself the best chance to win the most games and make the best moves every game, calculating everything out down to like the half of a percent or whatever is going to do that for you. But for a lot of people, that's not much fun. And so like the rough estimate is going to be good enough. So just, just, just sure. know, like if you take the extra time to do that, you are going to have better chances. But you're also going to tie yourself out a lot more. How many how many games do you? I mean, I play a lot right. of games. If, play if I'm really playing 100 quickly. games, I don't have time to calculate every yeah, single. I play one it really quickly. Out. Yeah, loose. <laughs> but loose if I'm playing fast. in two games, I have time to do that and make sure that I'm playing really well. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, all right. So I think we've kind of given a good backdrop here. We've right. we've all kind of uh, talked about different tools that we can do and different ways of doing it. Chris, you've got something to say before we dive in. Oh, jeez. Of course I do. I have one. I, I think this is an important tip. One more thing. Uh, as just like a bit of a guiding rule. And also, I actually didn't feel like you guys addressed like kind of your general like sense of taking risks in the game. So I do want to hear that. But I did have uh, one point I wanted to make last, which is that like if you have 50-50 odds, like even chances of hitting something, and it's a fairly neutral game state, you should probably go for it. Um, mm. And that's kind of like a, a riskier way to do it. But if you do that more often than not, you know, you're going to get paid out for it and you're going to win more games. So Dude, like if you have 50, 50 chance, go for it is my final piece. I, I, I would say in general, if I have a roughly 60% chance or more of doing something cool, I'm probably going to go for it. Um, yeah. That's not always the case. There's definitely exceptions, game state, all of that stuff matters. But yeah. in a real general sense, if I'm 60-40 for something good to happen, I'll probably go for it. How That's you, like Jake? my gut level. Yeah, it depends on what we're saying here. And this is a really good. I'm glad you brought this up here because we can talk about it for a moment. Uh, because I think there's something to be um, mentioned about opportunity cost or, or failing to be the aggressor. If you don't press the attack or if you don't take a chance and try to uh, you know, take advantage of a situation and you play more conservatively, the game can kind of pass you by and your opponent can end up doing it to you instead, right? So if you fail to take even a, a, a medium or small risk for something that can help you advance your uh, plan, which is to win the game, like like um, Double Dubs just said, go for it, right? You don't want to wait for your opponent to be the aggressor. Uh, playing too conservatively can be kind of a trap, right? And sometimes I find myself, especially probably in higher stakes games, I play much more conservatively than I do naturally, which might hurt me or it might actually make me play better in some situations. I'm not sure, but right. um, all, all of this stuff. And there's something to be said too about thinking and, and double get or second guessing yourself and kind of going against your own play style 
find your play style, find what works, find what are acceptable risks, but realize that the risks will play out against you sometimes. And you just have to accept it when it happens. Right. And we love to complain about it. And there's a discord channel devoted to that, which we do. Uh, so just enjoy it when it happens. All right. Um, and we can, I think we'll, we'll probably have a few final key points as we go through this, because we're going to touch on a lot of cool uh, ideas <laughs> as we go through here. Um, so let's just jump into it, guys. We're, let's talk about some different situations, how we would analyze the risk, what we what we would do. And maybe this will kind of spur some interesting um, discussions and ways of playing for the listeners as well. All right. Um, so I'll start it off here, guys, if that's okay. Uh, I put my, perhaps my favorite, one of my favorite scenarios in the game, which is. This is a fighter one, right? <laughs> uh, no, this is a wizard one. This is oh, oh, wow. I knew this was coming. Sorry. Okay, I, just, I see what you did. I just had to be sarcastic and a jerk to you. For well, a it could be. No, it's actually, if I'm a wizard playing against a fighter, it could be. It could be. Okay. One of those okay. Who's bought, who's well, then it is about a fighter and my sarcasm actually holds some weight, right? All right. So one risk uh, about, uh, well, playing wizard without uh, the screen channel is risky in general, I would argue. But um, one risky thing to think about when playing the wizard is when to spend your fireball or how to spend it. Uh, now, my fa- I mean, there, all the fireballs are good, and there's arguments for all of them, including this searing fireball, which does seven damage. But I'm going to talk mostly about the explosive and barreling fireballs today, which both have discard abilities. If your opponent has, with the explosive fireball, if your opponent has any five cost or less, is it cost or is it d- defense? I think it's defense, it's actually. It's defense. It's defense, yeah. yeah. So if there are any five defense or less champions in your opponent's hand, when you use your fireball, they have to discard those champions, which basically means you can use your fireball to force your uh, opponent to discard champions, which can be huge in some games, especially if they've got um, some nasty champion walls or faction combos coming up against you. You can take them out before they even see the light of day. Now, and those champions... Sorry, I just want to add quick that those champions miss a full deck cycle if you're able to hit, yep. which is part oh, of what yeah. makes it so incredibly impactful because, you know, then they could they, they didn't have any impact on the game in that one deck cycle and then they might bottom deck it on the next or something, you know, so like yeah. it, it really is can be very swingy. So I just didn't want to make sure we didn't understate it in any way, the impact that this can have. Yeah. And although I wouldn't recommend it, even if you do it against a cleric, they can't resurrect those champions because they you didn't remove mm-hmm. them from play. Now, I would recommend caution in using fireballs against clerics uh, because that's another very risky thing. Um, I'm not talking about that now, though. <laughs> Basically, what I'm talking about is if, let's say my <laughs> opponent has 10 cards in their deck, all right, and there's three champions in those 10 cards. So there's like, uh, yeah, there's a three in, there's out of those 10 cards, three of them are, uh, champions right so i have a choice here right i can if they don't have any draw in their hands i'll have two chances to possibly use my uh, fireball here to catch some champions right so so the way the math would kind of work is each of the five cards in their hand has a 30 percent chance to be one of those champions right right and so it's yeah. not like a 30 percent chance but it's 
if you go roughly like, hey, there's a 30% chance that there's going to be a champion or two in there, you're, you're basically you're how I look at it is, and I, and this could be totally off, but if I, if I looked at something like that, I would say, and if they're high value uh, champions, like if there's a, if it's a death cultist and a tithe priest or whatever, I'm probably not going to worry about discarding it, but if they're like good ones, <laughs> I, I'll do it. Um, if I can catch one, uh, only one champion with the fireball, I'm probably not going to do it. If I have a decent chance to catch two or maybe even more, I'm definitely going to do it. I'll, I'll throw it down. So uh, in the scenario I just mentioned, unless I'm in dire straits, if I only have, if there's, if they've got three champions out of 10 cards, and again, it depends it's, on if you It's going to be a little game. better than 50% that you could catch two of them. Yeah. And again, this depends on the game state as well. If if I'm winning the game, um I might not do it there because why why waste the fireball if I don't really have to? If I'm losing the game anyway, and if they bring out champions next turn, I'm probably gonna lose. So I might actually just burn that fireball there and see what I can do. Maybe I can like uh double D was saying earlier about playing to your outs. Hey, maybe I can just throw a Hail Mary here and see what happens and make some stuff happen. So I think it de- with the wizard, it depends. Now, if let's say there's seven cards left in their draw and three of those were champions, I'm burning that fireball almost every time. Oh yeah. Regardless of the game state. Now this might just be because I love to do it and it makes me happy when I discard <laughs> <laughs> cards from right. my opponent's hand with the fireball. Well, Hey, three and seven versus three and 10 is better. Way better. Yeah, yeah, and it happens and so, frequently. Yeah, it yeah, happens when you're so, playing wizard. Yeah, and so you're gonna you're gonna have that chance, and and when it's like that, when it when it's a thinner deck, a thinner amount of cards, and less less randomness as to what it could be, you have a better chance of knowing that it could yeah. be effective. And this is the beauty of the explosive fireball because it gives you different. It gives you so much versatility. It can help you attack walls that are already out, champ walls. Or it can help you lock down the marketplace if that uh, presents itself. Or you can discard stuff from your hands. Like it's it, really versatile. That's why I love the explosive so much. One one, to, one thing to think about this it was kind of touched upon is when you do this, and this card goes to their discard pile, it actually slows their deck down for their next shuffle. So those mm-hmm. are cards that wouldn't be in their shuffle that are now in their shuffle, and it makes Probably their not. deck yeah. less efficient. So depending on the timing of it, well. yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, if it's right before the shuffle, it, and they wouldn't normally be in there, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so that's my big thing on the fireball. I will briefly say about barreling fireball. This lets you choose one champion from your hand, uh, uh, from your opponent's hand, and discard them. And they there's no restriction, so you can even discard Arcus or Grack or whoever with this. Also, very good. Th- this um, could be this could be a breastplated up follower that's at 45 health totally so again exercising caution restraint and patience with this and that's the beauty of the fireball too is waiting for that sweet spot waiting for that right time to do it and and dropping it so okay that's one kind of thing that i'm talking about when i'm talking about risk assessment here and how i think about it um what do you guys think I'm I'm wondering if we should stay on wizard and talk about some of the other uh, wizard related things for risk assessment. So 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 hold on before before we go like real deep into all of this. I think <laughs> okay. every class has like some of those sorts of decisions. So like 
you have your fireball, you have the silver skull amulet decision for the next wizards. And That's then like, yeah, but then like the ranger, you have your headshot. And sometimes when you're tracking stuff that, that can make a difference when you want to use your res as a cleric, uh, jagged spear or like your devastating or whirling blow as a fighter. Uh, when you yeah, yeah, the, those sorts Black of things. Jack. Every class has a couple of those decisions that you're that that is the part that is the more difficult thing to grasp for the class. Yeah, and we'll talk about those. Yeah, all right. Yeah, and, but I, I just want to say every did. class has these, but but just to kind of go over it. Um, I guess they do, don't they? Because the fighter has it with uh, everybody the, has the, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And even the thief does with the with the blackjack. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Um, the last thing for the wizard, I guess, then is the silver skull. And in in my opinion, it's the silver skull is pretty. It's it's almost mandatory if you really want to make the an optimal um, wizard. As much as I love the arcane wand, and believe me, I love uh-huh. it. <laughs> um, now the silver skull is too. It's a two uh, gold providing item that you can uh, sacrifice to draw a card, which is just so awesome. It can be so huge early game for the wizard. Uh, now, and we, I think we'll all have interesting things to say on this because we've all played a lot of wizard and we've all burned a lot of Silver Skull amulets in our <laughs> games. Um, I really, it, it's all situational, of course. I will definitely use it if I have a chance to get something early that I need with the wizard. Uh, whether especially if it's like a healing card or, or mm-hmm. some some sort of big imperial card that I need early, I will definitely do it. If it's just like oh uh, maybe it'll be, um, if it's not really a, a big reward at the end of it, I will I won't burn it the first time I use it. Uh, sometimes I like to get two, maybe even three uses out of it if we have a really high value market in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you once you burn it, the wizard loses a lot of its economic. Uh, um, strength so um i tend to i i try to get two uses out of it unless there's something really really big i need to get i guess that's kind of how i I think i think that's how it goes for me is i usually unless i'm going to be when i first draw it get something you know devastatingly good i'm going to keep it and i'm probably going to burn it after i use it that second time which is kind of my my rule of thumb for it that can definitely change like you said if there's a expensive market and burning it wouldn't really get me anything the second time i'll give it another shuffle or two sometimes i'll see it four times in a game that's really rare but usually it's the it's getting i'm gonna play it two or three times yeah there's one and more that second or third it. is when i usually Sorry, I forgot to mention this before we go to Chris. There's one more instance where I use it sometimes, and that's if I have a robes wizard, and if I've used the um, if I've used the silver skull that turn to buy something or whatever. It's still I haven't burned it yet, but I haven't used my robes yet, and I don't have any cards to stash in my robes. Depending on how my draw deck looks and how uh, it looks like I can, and how the market looks. I possibly might burn the um, amulet to draw an extra card to stash it in my robes to help me get more economy next turn. There are times when I will do that. Uh, But typically, though, it's almost more beneficial to save the amulet for another use, unless you can really calculate there's something in that market you can get by robesing something that turn. 
sorry, I forgot to mention that one case. Chris, yeah. how do you look at the silver skull? I think you guys made a lot of great points and is similar to how I use the card. The only thing that didn't get covered in terms of a use case that I wanted to bring up where it can be worth, um, you know, do I want to burn the silver skull here is if you can get a really nice deck flip by doing it. Um, like yes. if you've made a couple awesome purchases and it's like your deck one, you bought command on turn one and now on turn two, you can use the silver skull and buy elven curse and then crack the silver skull to flip your deck and you kept all those starters out and now your next deck has the command and the elven curse. That's another time where I'll, you know, go ahead and, and uh, burn the, the silver skull amulet. Yeah, but I did have great. another wizard thing to talk about if you want to respond. Wait, hold on. I just, I just want to say thank you for bringing that up because that's one of the most important uses of the amulet is uh yeah. triggering is triggering your reshuffle with it and thank you for bringing it up and again this all ties back into risk calculation it all ties back into calculating whether burning it is use it is worth it or not yeah without without like dwelling too much on specifics or whatever this is actually managing your shuffle is a great way to manage your risks Ooh. like in a general sense like yeah. silver skull whatever anytime when you can manage that shuffle and you can get the low value cards to stay out of a shuffle by triggering that shuffle mid turn or right after the turn or whatever it would be. If you can trigger it at the right time to make that happen, uh, that's almost always a good move. Yeah. And the way, one of the best ways to win with wizard is doing that with Imperial cards is lining up your healing. So you don't have to worry about your hit points and then you basically can mm -hmm. win games. Yeah, so I was going to wait to bring this up a little bit, but um, when it comes to the reshuffle and like minimizing or max evaluating your risk with the reshuffle, suppose we're talking about the Silver Skull Amulet in that same scenario, but one of the cards that I bought was the Rot or Dark Reward. If I'm going to trigger a reshuffle and I have a chance to draw that sacrifice card and it'll be a circumstance where it misses, I'm a lot less likely to trigger the reshuffle, I think, um, because missing out on that sacrifice for a whole deck cycle, depending on the matchup and the board state and stuff like that can be really brutal. Unless your robes are still empty, because then even if you drew it, you just throw it in your robes and then you use it next turn. True. Yeah. But yep. yeah, great point. Yeah, that's another thing to think. So but... many things to think about, about this <laughs> risk analysis. Go ahead, Tim. I was going to say, yeah, why don't we uh, move on to uh, non-wizard scenarios? Aww. Oh, but I have some great things to say about Magic Mirror. I, I just, I just don't, I just don't want to dwell Ooh. on like one class for forty minutes. And well, I will say this stuff. though, the because the 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 wizard has so many draw mechanics, uh, they'll right. they'll have more of of this risk analysis than probably other ones will. Uh, it is good to mention the Magic Mirror though. Quickly, Chris, go ahead. While we're here. So obviously when you're um, using Magic Mirror, you're asking yourself, what are the chances that my top card is an action or not? And so you want to increase the chances that it will be an action. The peer channel wizard can mitigate that risk by digging two and scrying a little bit so that you can kind of force the action to be there. So that's kind of the, the base thing. Anything you wanted to add it in there, Jig? No, that's good. So you're basically removing the, and I wouldn't even recommend using the mirror unless you are scrying with it. 
Yeah. Okay. I, I, I wouldn't use it unless you have uh, the look at two, draw one, or the look at three, draw one. Yeah. If, you, if you're just drawing one, the mirror's not really good. Okay. I'm so really excited to talk about this. Serene. So, like, here, if you suppose you did, suppose you have a serene channel wizard and you did take the magic mirror upgrade, I mm-hmm. have been racking my mind over like how to play that the most optimally and i've kind of come to a bit of a conclusion about it which is that so the question is should you serene channel before you use magic mirror or not and the conclusion i've come to is this if you have more non-actions in your deck than you have actions you should serene channel because mm-hmm. you're likely to draw a non-action and then your magic right. mirror will be more likely to hit an action. And so then the opposite is yep. also true. If your deck has more actions than non-actions, then you should magic mirror first because you're kind of like bringing your odds down. And the whole mm-hmm. thing reminded me of the Monty Hall problem. And probably we don't want to get into the Monty Hall problem uh, for now. Are but you if you don't about know what let's that make is, a deal or a different Monty Hall. Yeah. Okay. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So if if, uh, if you don't know what that is, look it up. It's a very mysterious math problem. He, he, and, he was uh, the host of Let's Make a Deal was Monty Hall. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is go. what this um, kind of theoretical problem is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, though. Um, let's I guess we can move away from the wizard now as much as it pains yeah. me. But I, I, and I'm not I'm not trying to be a jerk about that or anything. I'm just saying, like. If we're talking about risk sex, risk assessment, risky and, sex. If we're yeah. talking about risky sex, it's <laughs> that wizards are not are definitely yeah. not. Sam the type is not of here. Are. We cannot talk about risky sex. Oh, <laughs> and wizards are probably the least, uh, the, the the least common demographic if, participating. If, in, if, in if they're sex. wizards in the sheets, man, just saying. rangers. On the other um, hand, I hear. Um, anyways, let's cheap. talk about let's talk about yeah. rangers and double doubles. Maybe you can uh, bring us in here, and maybe a good place to start is with the use of the um, the headshot, headshot snapshot. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that's come up, um, you know, numerous times on the cast, which is that, like, if you have a bomb on the market row, are you going to use your ability or your headshot, snapshot, whatever it is that you got to try to um, make that big purchase? Are you going to line up your tracking to try to do that? Um, and that kind of thing. So I don't feel like I have too much to add there any other ways you guys wanted to like sum that up or anything i i I think really when it comes to a lot of these draw abilities so you got your um uh divine res your headshot your silver skull amulet you got the whirling blow those sorts of cards um you're you're gonna especially if they have a secondary effect like the divine res or the uh, uh, headshot snapshot, that sort of stuff. Um, You want to get as much value out of it as you can, but don't be afraid to waste some of the effects. If the advantage will pretty much get you that big card, that's going to win you the game. All right. But what is the big card? So like with the wizard, I said, I would burn that uh, amulet for a big, imperial card or for a reshuffle for the ranger what is worth burning your um your snapshot for early game what are some cards just off the top of your head i mean draw cards command domination uh even like rampage cycle cards um 
I honestly, Domination. if I had one gold and there was an elven gift out there and I was going to get it with that, I might burn it for that. I've done it. I have done that. Yeah. And so, so what do you think about that? That, that draw, that draw in that cycle is so huge for a ranger that mm-hmm. I think that's, 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 that is true. It doesn't have to be an eight coster to use that snapshot or whatever. Double doves. Would you be more or less likely to burn your snapshot for an uh, elven gift in a ranger mirror match? I suppose the odds would go up. I wouldn't be like thrilled about it unless I had like some other wild turn cards one. already. Let's yeah, say it's like, turn one. I'm probably going to let that turn slide. one. Let's say it's turn one and you bought, you ended up with four gold and you got uh, a hit job as your first card. And, and you, well, no, that doesn't quite work. Whatever you got, you got the rot with three gold, and you have one gold left over, and you flip. And it's Elven pretty gift. tempting if I have the rot because then you've got an engine there. Like when I yeah. get into a it, ranger, if I have two card advantage cards and one card that's good damage, I'm off to the races. So like, if the elven gift is going to be that like third piece in my little like trifecta <laughs> of beatdown. Then mm. yeah, I would go for Okay. But if it's the first piece, then you won't burn it. Okay, that's perfect. No. That's the perfect yeah. answer. Okay. Yeah. So you just dis- you just perfectly described like how you would how you value that snapshot. If you go think, if it's think, the final I, piece. See see, this is interesting because I think I would totally if I was guaranteed to get that elven gift by burning that, not a not a seventy percent chance, but I'm I know that I'm gonna get a gold to get it. I'm probably going to burn it even if it's the first card in that trifecta. Yeah. Yeah. And that might just be more to like how you value uh, Elven gift in the match. I value Elven gift really high for just about everyone, especially. (laughs) Well, here's another thing too. I, I will spend that headshot just to um, get, uh, just to be able to activate my cloak for the healing, Uh just to keep myself healing for an extra turn. Not like on turn I, one, if you... No, no, no. But if I'm in damaged, a... Yeah. Let's say I'm at like 33 health against yeah, a fighter, yeah. and this is my last chance to heal, I will spend that um, snapshot if the only purpose is to allow me to heal two extra for that turn. I've spent it just for that. So like that's another example of the value of that, depending on the game state and everything else. But yeah. I've spent the snapshot just for two healing before. Um, anyway. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, those evaluations and, change. And w- one of the things with the risk assessment is also in the way that we all value the cards. Mm-hmm. So, um, excuse me, outside of class-specific stuff, and your values change depending on what class you're playing and everything. But, like, if I value the rot higher than Chris values the rot, I'm going to take more risks to get it than he would. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And we each have our own favorite cards and I think and I think Chris will take more risks to get deception than I would. <laughs> True that, man. Which in that one? card is amazing with a ranger for sure. A lot of the other classes it's a lot less amazing unless you are really likely to faction. I guess that goes to my other big point in it. How does factioning come into all of this? That's a good segue. Let's do that. Well, before that though, Let's talk about Jagged Spear because that's a, well, I guess, are we, are we talking about Jagged Spear later or no? 
Oh no, we're not. No, Let's we're talk about Jagged Spear now because it's good. So, so that's really one. Like, like the risk of that is not so much can I get a good card from the market, this or that. It's can I get that extra four damage that's going to allow me to win the game at the right time without burning it so early that I then lose the constant damage that it's giving me. So with like the Jagged Spear, you're wanting to play it as often and as much as you can. So once every shuffle, you're wanting to play it and then burn it the last time you would get to play it usually. Unless you would like deactivate an armor or get rid of a big champ or something like that. But in general, most of the time you want to play it as much as you can and burn it the last time you would play it and that you wouldn't see it again in the game. I... Uh, I I think that's that's sound advice. I'm a little more uh, liberal with it, I guess. And that if if I'm in the end game, uh, I, I look at it this way: if I'm probably not going to go through the next uh, deck a full time again, I'll burn it. So, like, if there, there's a chance I will need it, but if I'm not, if there's a chance I might not even yeah. see it, then I'll burn it. So, um, so, 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 like, you're likely to burn it before your last shuffle when you could draw it again, but you're not like guaranteed to draw it again is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. But I might like, yeah. So it's a, and it might be, and sometimes I'll, um, you end up going through your deck again and it's not there for whatever reason. And the one thing you have to be cautious with is when you're playing like a lift thief or, or clerics or whatever, there's lots of healing that's this game is going to go longer than you think. Hold on to that long. Well, if I'm playing a lift thief, I'm probably not going to win anyway. If I'm playing a competent lift thief, I'm not winning yeah. that game anyway. Right. So anyway, um, I, I right, need but, luck. Yeah. Jagged spear is great because it's a, it's such a strong card and burning it is, it's such sweet sorrow sometimes. Well, and especially, and especially what can be so good about it is your opponent can have a big champ out. And if they're at two health or whatever, it doesn't matter if they've got like 30 defense on that champion. You only, you do it direct to them. Go ahead, Mr. Dubs. Yeah. So I just wanted to weigh my two cents in here on that kind of like scenario that Jig had described where, you know, I'm going to get into my next deck, but how far into my next deck am I going to get? One of the metrics that I might use when considering that is how many like legitimate good damaging cards have i purchased in the game because i think Mm -hmm. a lot of times with level 12 fighter like you are using that spear and fire gems and your ability or your skill i mean you know and your ability and you don't really end up buying a lot if i have that kind of a fighter deck i'm a lot less likely to burn the spear in that Mm -hmm. like negative one deck where you know like right before it ends but if i have two good damage cards if i have intimidation and the rot then i'm a lot more likely to to burn, to it. burn that earlier yep. yeah i want always to count your damage two, yeah i'm too yeah. good always damage count cards. your damage yeah well i i think he's just saying like even if you're likely to not get through the next shuffle but the only damage cards are you have are your starters and some fire gems you're probably going to want to hold on to that well that yep. means counting but, your damage but, yeah yeah. I'm not going to burn it if I'm not going to have enough damage to kill my to kill to what. All right, so this is uh, obviously if, if it makes up a bigger amount of your damage, right? Yeah, you want to yeah. hold on to it. Is what you you need it, 
But typically, though, if my uh, opponent, and this happens a lot with fighters, because a lot of times you'll get your opponent into single digits and it comes down to that last, like, who's going to get who's going to get over the finish line. So and in that sense, I often just burn it. But um, I, you know, another thing while we're here on the fighter, I've I I was playing quite a bit in the new uh, since the game launched, but in the last couple of weeks, it's just such a hard meta for the fighter right now. I've been, I haven't been playing a ton of fighter recently. I still queue up a few games, but fighter has it tough right now. Guys. They do. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. um, Timmy brought up the really important um, discourse about faction bonuses and how do we value these things and how do we calculate, how do we, so, so how does your how does your risk assessment affect how you value things? Is I mm-hmm. guess the other aspect yeah. of it. So there's a risk assessment of let's do the math. How am I going to get the best stuff with the money or the damage or whatever that I have? Now the idea is how does what you already have in your deck or what's in the market row going to affect how you value the cards? Because that's risk assessment as well. Right. Or. Well, the the game state changes the value, right? So the value of everything yes. is constantly changing, and we have to calculate those changes and then yes. make appropriate decisions based on those things, right? Yeah, totally. Um, so let's give like an example here, just so we're not talking all theoretics. Let's just say Tim has five guild cards in his deck, and so far, uh, and uh, deception appears on the market row. Of course, deception is going to be ultra high top priority for him because he already's got a bunch of high killed cards, right? Uh, let's say it's the um, turn one in the fighter mirror uh, with me and Tim, and the same deception comes on the row. Neither of us are probably going to give a shit about it because we're not going to be able to afford it, and the game's probably not going to last long enough for it to work anyway. Uh, so, anyways, that just shows like how the game state affects the way we value right. deception right that's basically what we're, we're talking about here it, it, and i guess in 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 a more specific sense yes that but also factioning bonuses specifically w- when do you have enough percentage or enough cards in your deck that you're really looking at like i can count on these faction bonuses most of the time rather than like i'm just gonna get lucky to get them yeah like over half, if over half your deck is the faction, that's probably like my <laughs> number that I'm really pull out of my that's head. Really, that's really, that's a pretty high bar. That's really well, high. It depends on the class. <laughs> so you need right? six or seven cards before you're going to be like focusing on. If you're Ranger, you don't valuing you need much those less up. than that. You, no, you need like I guess two what I mean is ranger. just like for me to be able to like feel confident that I'll each hand will likely have at least two, you know, then I would want to probably have that high of a concentration i i I guess i i guess i guess maybe i need to phrase it a little different if you have um death threat that's in the row you're playing somebody that has champions and that faction bonuses could be good but you only have like one guild card it's not gonna be that great but if you have four of them it's gonna look really good oh yeah I would not need half blue cards in order to I buy guess that was the thing. <laughs> when, when, when does that value for like a card like that go up where the faction bonus mm. is good? 
and can be really good. But the main ability on the card isn't necessarily amazing. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is great because now we're talking about futures a little bit too, right? And it also depends right. on matchups and the classes playing. If we're in a match, if we're playing against the cleric, that death threat, even with nothing else in your no other guild, is going to be high value. He um, did stipulate that the opponent has champions, so we do. Yeah. Okay. Value so if they have champions, reason. yeah, it doesn't then, necessarily need to be a cleric, but yeah, they have yeah, champions. Right. There. Well, but, well, I'm saying even like turn one in uh, a cleric match, that would be worth. That would be high value. But death threat yeah. to me, anyways, it would be. Um. Anyway. But uh, but but so so like. You take a card like Death Threat and you take a card like um, Elven Curse. You're probably going to get Elven Curse over Death Threat. Turn oh, yeah. one, right? Because oh, it's yeah. more reliable. Yeah. You're taking less of a risk. But say it's turn 10 and you have a couple of guild cards and you have that same choice. What do you think you're going to do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, probably still curse unless there's a ton of champs out and I'm playing a cleric. I don't know. All right, I, I'm not, my, I see what my you're whole, saying, though. You're, my whole point right. is not necessarily to dig into specific situations. It's mm-hmm. in general, how do you think about this? And and what does it take to make you like value those faction bonuses? Yeah. And that's why it's so hard to compare and rank, rank and rate cards with each other. Because, you know, they change. <laughs> they, they're like chameleons. And they will change depending on, on the game state. Incredibly uh, some games bribe will be worse than like it, it, no one will want to come close to a bribe other games it could be the most important card you, you'll buy right uh, that <laughs> might not happen very much but <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the most bribe. important card more often than tithe priest will be i'll grant you that um, i and that kind probably of... agree with that too <laughs> yeah. but nivik would obviously nivik win. Uh, I, I don't know, Mister Mister Deebledoobs here uh, buys way too many. Uh, I've, dude, two weeks ago on priest. stream, uh, I bought Tithe Priest like three games in a row, and I swear to God, it seemed like the right decision at the time. It wasn't. Time. It, it was and a bad then, decision uh, every time. Did you guys see the? Uh, I think yeah, I think it was I think it was User <laughs> Cafe who posted the picture of uh, like two Tithe Priests and the Man at Arms. No, no, two Tithe Priests and. Uh, it was all healing guys, but he mm-hmm. was a cleric breastplate cleric and he was pumping up all of his tithe priests and like they weren't oh, really? doing any damage, but his opponent couldn't kill him. He ended up winning the yeah. game, I think, but yeah, uh, I might've missed anyways. that one. That's awesome. Okay. That was not, not great podcasting content. Recalling <laughs> half recalling a scenario by someone about something. Great. Uh, but you're just kind of, uh, you know, maybe getting right. Yeah. It was really good though. Anyways. Um, how are we doing here? on uh risk assessment guys what else do we have left to talk about the last one that i got quick is um i was up against a fighter i could either buy dark energy or i could get elven curse i decided to buy the elven curse because i made the calculated decision that my fighter opponent was very unlikely to be able to purchase the dark energy at four, but I knew they could probably get the elven curse at three. So I was able to buy the elven curse at three. They did not uh, get the dark energy. And then on my next turn, I got the dark energy and had right. both of those really yeah. impactful damage cards. That That's a really good example of where like your valuation of the cards well, maybe you would say, well, Dark Energy, I want that more than that Elven Curse, you know, because it does more damage. But 
the fact that it's like, well, I could get both of these if I play it this way. That's a really great example there. Chris. Game state. Always Thank look you. at yeah. the game state and what your opponent can do because a lot of what you're thinking about might be a moot point. They might not be able to get it anyway. So you, you're you're making these calculations about something they're not going to be able to box. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. I think this was an awesome discussion, guys. We really uh, came at it from a lot of different angles, and um, hopefully, and we could keep going. I'm sure there's lots of other ways (laughs) we can explore it too. But there, there there are a million like edge cases and scenarios you can throw out, and I guess I kind of wanted to try to not make it all about that, but like in the general (laughs) sense, like talking about the risk. And no, but it's fun to talk else, about it, some specifics yeah, too, right? And, for sure. And how absolutely. we approach it differently because each right. person takes and accepts different risks, right? Oh, 100%. Um, um, and, and I guess if nothing else, uh, going with your gut is always fun. So <laughs> do that, but it, evaluate. It, it, my it, my it, wife it, tells it me otherwise, but <laughs> it, it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be about winning and making the best choice to win. Sometimes you're like, this choice is going to be more fun. So I'm going to do it. Like, sure. I play, I, I get in that, that mood and I play that way. So yeah, I often do that. Too. Keep it's, that in it's mind. It's fun to take, to take a gamble. Don't never tell me the odds. <laughs> yeah. A famous, okay. A famous. Okay. Uh, Han Solo. Space bandit. A famous <laughs> space trucker once said, okay, guys. Um, I think we've, kind of beat this drum enough yeah, for this episode. Now. There's still a lot to talk about <laughs> and hopefully it'll generate some uh, discussion on uh, discord as well, but uh, hopefully you got something out of this. That wraps up the main focus. Next, we are going to head into build lab. Why should you build such a thing? All right, so the fighter emerges from the blacksmith. And what does he have equipped? Is it the spiked pauldrons or is it the helm of fury? Well, in today's build lab, we'll let you know what we think you should choose in the blacksmith of Thandar. <laughs> okay, let's talk wow. about what they do real quick. <laughs> you tried so hard. I love it. And I love it. You tried so hard, and it was so bad. You are getting some post-production sound effects in there, buddy. Don't you worry <laughs> okay. about it. Don't you worry so about it. So the spiked pauldrons is going to give you one damage every turn. Uh, Agency 13, can that you help you're me above out with 10 the- hit points. If you're above 10 hit points and then Helm of Fury is going to give you three damage. So three times the amount of damage, but you have to have a guard in play and your hit points have to be 20 or above. Is that correct on the yes, threshold? That's yeah, absolutely so, correct. You know, uh, basically we're looking at consistency with the spiked pauldrons or uh, somewhat ironically, the spikiness of Helm of Fury to spike for more damage. So um, I'm going to just throw out my quick, um, not too in-depth here, but basically I used to be spiked pauldrons on all the fighters, but have come around on Helm of Fury quite a bit. It feels pretty nice to line that up, and it's not so bad uh, for it to kind of quickly outpace the pauldrons and having those champions, uh, the cheap guards, be a lot more impactful is pretty nice. Like Orc Grunt. Man at Arms, Death Cultist, all very good with the Helm of Fury. I, I have good thoughts on this. 
um, because I used to feel the same way as you, that the spike pauldrons are more consistent. I can depend on them and the helm can be too spiky. And it's, it's, if you don't get the guards or whatever, it's not going to be as good. Um, yeah. And it deactivates earlier, but honestly that 20 and that 10 hit points, it's not a huge difference. So it's, it's fairly similar, honestly. You might get one more turn out of Spike Pauldrons than you would out of Hell. Maybe one turn. Um, but what really made me change my mind is when I looked at when I tracked like game length data. Oh, and I did I did that for a while in the beta, and I looked at it, and the average length of a game for a fighter was like 14, 13, 15 turns, somewhere in that range, which means three and a partial deck. So you're going to shuffle like three times, you know, is the average for a fighter. So, yeah. So probably. And in that game length, if I get eight turns, so 16 total turns for the game length, eight of them would be mine as a fighter. How much damage do I need to do with the helm? I need to do nine damage with the helm to do better than that eight damage from the pauldrons, which means I need three activations, which is going to be those three shuffles. (laughs) And I don't even have to buy any other guards. And that's because you have the shield bearer guaranteed. The shield bearer. And it doesn't have to be the seasoned upgraded one, any of that. No. um, The seasoned. If it goes out, activates and gets stunned, and it's in your next shuffle and you get it back again, that works too. You just need it to happen three times. If you can pick up a... Just as good. Uh, just as good. Uh, is it the Death Cultist? Or is that the wrong one? Yeah, the Death Cultist, not the Cult Priest. Yep, the two cultists. The Death Cultist. No, the Death... Yep, the Guard. Uh, yeah, the cultist. Like, that's a good one. Or Orc Grunt. Yeah. Those are some good cheap guard. guards that you could get to make it even better. Man-at-Arms, those are good ones. Man-at-Arms. you only need it to activate three times to do better than the spike pauldrons usually. So I've come around on this Mm. and I think I like the helm most of the time. Interesting. Um, There's definitely going to be situations where it's worse. It can screw you. If, if you play that shield bearer at the end of a shuffle and it misses a shuffle, it's a lot. You need to have another guard in there to make it true. Yeah trigger again unless it stays out multiple turns so like there's more that goes into it but in general you have a pretty good chance of getting more damage from the helm i also think meant when you mentioned the game length and i really loved when we tracked that at the end of the beta i really because there's so many interesting things we looked at but and i know the um hero helper Mm -hmm. it's not hero helper the actual game data from the app doesn't offer that so we can't do that but um a lot of my, my fighter games were averaging like yeah. 11 turns. My victories, my fighter victories, I think were like 10.5 or 11 turns. And I, th- and I was using mm-hmm. the pauldrons and I think you actually probably get shorter overall, slightly shorter games. If you're using the pauldrons, I bet because you probably, that part actually might even be a little right. consistent over the shorter games because you probably yeah. have a better chance of not hitting the helm on the short ones. It's just a quick thing I mentioned. That's it's not really the main thing I wanted to talk about though. Uh, I think it's really interesting because when I, I, I like the helm too, but I like mm-hmm. it because it changed the style I played with the fire fighter a little bit where I prioritized mm-hmm. those 
cheap champions more. Um, even though you just said, even if you don't play that way, even if you just mm-hmm. use your starting uh, shield bearer, that's enough to make it worthwhile, which is actually quite surprising to me. It's good to know. On average, if you don't change anything about your play style, they're going to be pretty even at the average game length. So pick which one you like better. Right. Right. Yeah, the, the consistency overall. isn't that much different. Yeah. Which then means the chance for the higher ceiling with the helm makes me want to take that because it's so close. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Well, and not only that, but now I want to talk just really quick about like actually playing that, playing to the helm. And maybe I, now I still like the spear over the double uh, sided axe. Um, but there is, I have seen like players like Rucksack play with the helm and the bear, the, 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 the double axe and you uh, kind of manipulate the game so that you, if your opponent doesn't take the guards, then you get them and it's going right. to help you. And if they do take the guards, you're going to make them punish them. You're going to punish them for it. So there are some interesting paths or builds you can do with the two. I'm right. not saying it's optimal, say but I have seen you, players play If you're on the Helm of well. Fury build, do you like the Season Shield Bearer, the Upgraded Shield no. Bearer? I, I think the Upgraded Shield Bearer sucks. I'd rather have Hand Scythe every time. Does that mean that you're off Rallying Flag too then? If you're taking Hand Scythe every time? Uh, not necessarily, but uh, more so. I think my favorite build is going to be Hand Scythe, uh, Jagged Spear, uh, Sharpening Stone, uh Shoulder crush, devastating blow, helm of fury. Yeah, well, it, regardless of what those you those three you listed last, the other four are probably my favorites. With okay. it, but 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 rallying flag, rallying oh. flag is is still I think really close as well, and can be a, a preference thing. But I th- I think I think the hand scythe is the the upgraded shield bearer just isn't any good. It's okay. a card I want to get rid of most of the time. I don't want it in my deck most games. Interesting. You can you can make I do have a um well actually I was gonna say you can make it work and then I and then I realized, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm only winning fifty percent with that fighter. Okay, so maybe maybe you can't maybe you can't make it work. Well, like I said too, it, the fighter meta, it's just hard to hard to there's so many clerics out there out, out yeah. there right now to yeah. play with a fighter. But but I think um, yes, you can make like the 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 double bladed axe and that sort of stuff work. You can play well with it. I think that one is much riskier because it's real hit or miss with that. If they don't have the champs, it's it's a million times worse than your jagged spear. Yeah. But if all your it, it, it's hard. I actually think I saw Rucksack. You would be do okay that well in the mirror, mirror because you the, they have a fighter a mirror tournament that I played against them. Yeah. And against clerics, it's always going to be good because they have two guards. But against a wizard or a thief, it's probably worse than the jagged spear. Yeah. So I guess the moral here is for the listeners: (laughs) check out the helm, guys, on your fighters. You might, you might see better results. Although it's still, I I will say, I will say, after saying all of that, I do still think the spike pauldrons are fine. And if you like the consistency and being able to use your shoulder crush and your spike pauldrons to trigger your axe, that's a great combo. Or if you don't have any gold and you get like your hand mm-hmm. scythe and your yeah. pauldrons, 
and the axe. That's another great combo. Like pauldrons still have their place. I'm not saying don't ever take them. I'm just saying it's really close. Pick the one that totally. you like. Yeah. And yeah. I like helm. No, the, it's a great point about the auto. Uh, it, it, as long as your pauldrons are active and you can use your skill, mm-hmm. your, your act, your throwing ax will draw for you. Which is a really good point. You don't so, need any any other damage in your in your hand. To, to me, the big takeaway from there is that um, okay. it all kind of ties um, up into what the heart of this episode has been about, which is kind of like uh, risk, risk management. Are you mm-hmm. the kind of player that wants the sure thing of the pauldrons and the nice combos uh, with four damage plus one plus throwing axe? And you you like that, or are you willing to roll the dice a little bit more? And so, based off of uh, where you're at as a player and how you manage risk, can help guide your decision there as well. So, yeah, and and I and I guess my biggest point is I know in my fighter article I probably said more I was leaning more towards like spike pauldrons when I wrote that um, with the game length data, and I have edited the article to say stuff and more of this sort of thing but it is much closer and it's really just a preference thing all right well let's keep rolling out we are approaching the end guys i know um (laughs) we are approaching uh the two hour mark as we always promise ourselves not to do but here we are once again let's head into community roundup before we finish things off All right, we are entering into the final phase of episode 14, the community roundup, where we give a quick summary of the events that have taken place in the last couple of weeks. We have a lot of news as usual. Um, some events have wrapped up, some are still ongoing, but let's jump into it and see what's happening. Tim is going to kick things off with the Tavern Brawl. So the Tavern Brawl finished up recently, and the winners for... Season three, that's what we're on, right? Season three, or we're on, um, was <laughs> the guest congress that was captained by Peter Panic. Um, they played Hero Cool and totally wiped the board against Hero Cool, and it was not even a good finals because. <laughs> Guest Congress did so good. Hero Cool did so bad. No, it actually wasn't too bad, but um, well done, Guest Congress. Well played. Season well three played. Chance. Congratulations to you guys. Yeah, the Tavern Ball went surprisingly quick. I, we were kind of bogged down with resets and uh, updates in season two, and then season three went kind of seem. I think we were all surprised how quickly it went by. Well, um, it was like half as long and we didn't have any of those resets. So like I think that's what made season 2 so long is there were yeah. a couple of like updates and stuff that slowed everything Prolonged down by like a month. and it just dragged yeah. and dragged. But now Can this just... season everybody was like this was too short, we need to have it longer. <laughs> I think somewhere in the middle is good. Yeah. Because you kind of the fun part is when you kind of get into it the stats start to accrue and then you see the different things emerge and you know and that Well, I made right it when to, I, I made it I made it to the finals and my thief was like, granted, I did not play very well this season. And I, I went about 50%. 
So like I think I hit level eight in the finals. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So I was fine. I had I had not a good time. Um yeah. No, no, I had a good time, but my character did not <laughs> perform well. <laughs> yeah, I didn't perform very well. My seat got but, hammered. Can I just uh, say uh the Decepticons handing guest congress their only loss all season long they were six and one counting the playoffs who handed them that one decepticons baby what's up okay okay decepticons (laughs) did you make the playoffs buddy it was a pretty narrow cutoff no no, you didn't we missed it at three and two (laughs) yep yep one final thing before we move on to the other one i just want to look at the the overall stats for class and this is interesting because I think, Tim, you said you finished at level eight, which means most people yeah. probably finished less, probably five or six or maybe seven. Anyways, seven the, the overall stats for Cleric were 48% win percentage. That's not bad. Fighter was 58.89 at, with the bad. highest. Ranger was 57. Yep, Thief was 41%, 41. 41.6. Mm-hmm. And Wizard was 44%. So, yeah. Uh, fighters and rangers had a grand old time, and the other classes got. I mean, got I mean, cleric, cleric was about fifty percent. Wizard and thief were not very good, and ranger and fighter were dominating. That that sounds about right, up to but maybe about level seven. That's what I would expect. Yeah, I managed a sixty percent win rate with wizard. Kind of proud about that. I don't think that Fair. best wizard finish, but take sixty percent on wiz. Very yeah. good, for sure. Yeah, and um, I know there will be uh, for the draft for season four that uh, will happen with whoever. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they w- they will go over all the stats for individual players and all of that stuff. So, yeah, cool. All right. Uh, well, congratulations on everybody once again to Tavern Brawl season three. Next up, Double Dubs is going to give us a quick recap on Predator. Predator, what an awesome event we had here. Um, I believe it was Daily 23 that mostly was like the sole TO for this one, right? So, yeah, I helped him uh, out too. I helped him set it up okay. and Birdlaw kind of helped with, with the... he Birdlaw's original idea was Hunter versus Prey. And then I okay. think, and I said, how about Predator versus Prey? Ooh. And then eventually I try, I convinced Daily, just, let's just do Predator. What, what do we need this yeah. prey for? So. And anyway, he asked, there were a few of us that were involved with some uh, brainstorming, but I mean, it was, it was Daly's thing. It was his, yeah, baby. he put in a lot of the legwork. When it came baby. He like, put in all the hard work, but he had yeah. a few people help and refine some stuff with him. Yeah. So again, uh, awesome community stepping up to help each other. Shout out uh, most especially to Daly for running it. But we want to say this event was awesome. There was some interesting like, oh, how does this work? What happens here? That kind of got sorted out along the way. The Predator 2 is in the works. You can expect that to come. But let's go ahead and announce in third place with 26 trophies. The cat says meow. In second place with 29 trophies is Rucksack. And in first place with 31 trophies, the master of overkill is Eindelus, along with uh, so a special congratulations to Eindelus for a great performance in Predator. Looking forward to who was in fourth place. 
Fourth place is Goober's joint, but if I oh, shit. take it down to sixth place, it's I our was very own. Crap. <laughs> yeah, 24 trophies, my man. I, I had a really bad last round. I got zero yeah. trophies last round, and I was like way up at the top. That was a fun event. Yeah. I'm going to do totally different builds and stuff next time, so I'll, I'll, I'll do better at it next time. But It changes the way one. you play pushing for that overkill. It's hard for me as a player because like, when you get into risk assessment, I never want to risk the win. No, I always want to you know, just get in there. I don't want to push it for the overkill. Also feel bad to put my opponent through that. I don't mind playing through it. Like they're like a cat. It's literally like a predator and prey. It's like a cat <laughs> playing with its prey as you're like at one health and they pass. It's crazy. So Highlander, um, this one, Eindelus won event number four. Well done, Mr. Eindelus winning. Good the month events. for him. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and so that is the first four events for season one. There is a fifth event, which is an invitational. So everybody that made the top four and one of the four events, and then the other slots up to 16 would be the top point earners throughout the season. And you got points for participating and points per win and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and in fact, I think I'm actually doing 17 people because there was a tie there and I've got to figure out how to make that work. So yeah, just put them all in there. Do you want to read them off really quick just to give them a shout out for the, making uh, the invitation? Do you have it? I, I can in just about, we'll do it. Cause that'd be fun for them to hear their names. A second. I got to find it in here. I think it's on discord too. Didn't you put it? So yes. There? So um, the players that made top four in one of the events, Eindelus, Noodle Tulpe, The Cat Says Meow, and Roser, Master Chulky, Horgel, Devil Dubes, Rucksack, and Agency 13. So everyone on this podcast except for Jigmalinko. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But when it comes to the top point earners that would fill this out, there would be Zembu, Silent Owl, our own Jigmalinkpa, <laughs> Vreep, Zabuza, Daily23, Paul Solomon, and PYL or PYFL is the IGN. So um, those are the players that got invitations for it. And when does that start? Um, it's to be determined. I've sent out invitations for everybody that gave me their email or that I already had it from something or other. Their invitations are out. Once I have all those sent, uh, it's probably going to start in the next couple of weeks. Okay, so. so that should be starting soon. If you were one of those people, keep an eye out on your email and sign up for that. All right, uh, next up is the King of the Castle. I'll try to go through this quickly. Speaking of daily from Predator, he is our current King of the Castle, daily 23. How many is he up to? He's currently sitting at a three challenge uh, defense right now. He's playing against Fino, and I think they're locked in a epic battle right now. I think it's actually two this to is one. one it of, might even be two to two. Uh, this at, is one of the longer defenses, isn't it? Like three is since the reset. Yeah, it didn't, hasn't gone super high, has it? Uh, th- I think like maybe seven couple, or something. There's been a couple, but they've been outlining their battles uh, and giving us some good flavor text to follow along, which has been fun. So check out the King awesome. of the Castle. 
uh, channel on Discord if you're interested in that. Uh, of course, you don't need to do that. You can just sign up on the event uh, page, the link of which is in the show notes. So check that out if you are interested. Okay. Uh, up next is what? Up X is Survivor. And that's uh, right. Has got that. The most uh, recent Survivor one, which started during the beta, was put on pause and then the release. Um, it was resumed after the retail release. Well, that finally wrapped up going into the finals. Uh, Noodle Tulpa had an advantage against, uh, I believe, Rucksack. He had two characters. Rucksack just had his fighter and Noodle Tulpa came out on top with the thief victory. So congrats to Noodle on that one. And then um, Survivor Season 2 has already been announced. And the cat says, meow, who runs that one? Shout out to you. Thanks for organizing that event. Um, he has announced that there will be some special rules that are not yet announced. So very curious what that will be. I'm absolutely going to sign up for that one and uh, looking forward to Survivor 2. Up next, we're sending it over to Tim for the latest with the Thandar Combat League. Just so with, Before be- he jumps into that, I want to say I have seen the Survivor special rules. And they oh, are. They will, they will throw some interesting curveballs into the mix. All you haven't seen them, Deeble Dubes? Dude, I wow! I feel out of the secret circle. There's a circle, and then there's a smaller I thought, I circle. I thought everybody, I thought everybody had seen them. Wow, nope. <laughs> They're gonna be awesome. They're gonna be awesome. They're good. Cool. Cool. Um, I hope everyone hates them. They're gonna be awesome. So, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Dandar Combat League. We just started week two. Uh, so once this week's finished, we'll be about halfway through the season. Uh, there's four weeks of matches and then like a week to catch up. So, uh, that's going pretty well. Uh, a couple people dropped that didn't have time or didn't respond and that sort of stuff. But overall, uh, lots of good play, lots of good responses and, uh, it's going pretty well. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the season and season two. Yeah. Sounds good. You've got over 50 players in this, right? Yes. Yeah. So, and huge event. It's a, Huge event. It's like it's like fifty. There were like three people that um, signed up and either didn't respond or play their matches or wrote to one of the organizers and dropped out because yeah. stuff came up, you know. Yeah. And and that happens. Um, but uh, even with that, we're at like fifty-five people. Yeah, awesome. somewhere somewhere right around there, which puts it at at one of our biggest events, I think. Uh, after mm-hmm. I think only Tavern Brawl might be the only bigger one. HRPC is pretty big. Well, it has lots of entries, but the number of players is actually less than that, I think. And I, I could be wrong. But I don't know. Anyway. anyway. Good stuff. All right. Uh, up next is what? It's HRPC, which is mine. Um, actually, I'm just going to look at the results that Darklighter Dark Lighters. Yeah, because he posted some results here um, in the HRPC channel premier circuit which had a amazing finish recently for the cats's meow who took first second and third place with <laughs> fighter wow. ranger and thief uh yours truly tried i tried to <laughs> stop his thief in the uh whatever it's called mm. the semifinals right before the finals with my th- i had a thief versus his fighter um but he level threed me and took me down in three games. I gave it a good shot, but I couldn't get past it. Th- I thought he played fight. somebody else in the semis. He Corey Bear eighty eight. Corey um, Bear did that's get fourth place with a cleric. 
He was but, the only place. Uh, Jig was on the oh, path for the. Theme. Okay, no, I'm talking. I was in the f- great. I was in the final eight. <clears throat> so if I had won that, I would have made it to the yeah. final four. Yeah. I could have prevented game. one of his from going to the final four. I, I was talking about the person that did make it in the final four. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Anyways, huge M- congrats. Much love, Matt. I'm just giving you a hard time. Huge congrats to the Katzes because that's just freaking crazy, crazy uh, turnout for that. Uh, Corey Bear uh, was the furthest advancing non Katzes Meow player who took fourth place with his cleric <laughs> in the That's uh, hilarious that it needs qualified. The top yep. eight rounding out the top eight were Noodles Fighter, uh, Paul Salomon's Fighter, Connor WWG's Cleric, and My Thief. Those were the top eight. I, I think uh, I lost to most of that top eight. <laughs> and in the top 16 were Dark Lighter, Noodle Tupe, Double Dubs. Double Dubs is in there twice with his Ranger and Cleric. Rucksack mm-hmm. is in there twice, also fighter and cleric, PWFL and Bird Law. So uh congrats to everybody um in the Sparks and Red podcast, not named Tim, who made the top sixteen in the HRPC. Yeah, I did really bad, so I don't deserve <laughs> any praise. So Okay. And I think oh, there's one more announcement. There's a new format coming up. <laughs> which yeah, I, is I, it just <laughs> no, it's not the joust. The joust. I keep, I keep waiting for a good time to bring joust back, but there's so many events going on now. I, I, it's hard to find time to to bring it out because there's. Yeah. I, I'm like, oh, now it's a good time, and then there's a new thing that comes out. I'll figure out a time for it to bring joust back, but we'll see. I think pacing it out is wise. I think it's easy to get. I think twice a year events. is probably good with joust. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Okay, I'll, I'll follow your I'll follow your schedule for for joust. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's talk about the game of games. I do not envy Double Dub's duty of trying to explain all of the rules for this event uh, because oh, there's a lot so, of them. Do yeah, you I'm even not, know what they are? I actually do, yeah, because so it's it's a, a bit of a parody off of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, if you guys watch that show or if the listeners do, they have an episode called uh, Charty McDennis, The Game of Games. And so that's what this is inspired by. So level one is uh, like pain and endurance. So you play fighter mirrors. Level two is body and spirit. So you do wizard mirrors. And level three is public humiliation, where you have to play out some of the worst mismatches in the game. You either have to be a fighter against a cleric or a wizard against a fighter, and you have to score wins that way. There's cards, there's jail, there's chaos. It's like risk and monopoly is worked in there. So, like, it's going to be insane. If you oh, thought wow. Predator was over the top, uh, the game of games is even more over the top. I'm absolutely signed up for that one as well, to no one's surprise. Hope to see many of you on the sign-up sheet as well. It's going to be a great one. Shout out to uh, Daily23, our very own Scrap Force, and Birdlaw for being the main geniuses behind that one. The mad geniuses. Yes, the, the exactly. rules are something and something to behold. You you guys I totally honestly signed lost up for me. this and have no idea what's going on with it. <laughs> That's perfect. They lost You're me the at the cheating candidate. aspect of the game where you can fa- you can post or you can change results afterwards if you lost, but other people have to what? check it and call you out on it. And I was like, is this really necessary for this? But anyway, it should be interesting to watch you guys struggle trying to yeah. uh, keep up with all those. I have a feeling this whole event is going to blow up. <laughs> It'll be fun, be fun to watch. Yeah. It'll be awesome. Yeah. 
All right, cool. Well, lots of fun things coming up. Uh, look forward to it. All of these things will have links in the show notes. And we also have a link, uh, a single link that uh, outlines all of the uh, events in a primer that will also uh, link in our show notes as well. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. And let's head into the outro. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another long episode of Sparks and Recreation. Uh, I'm glad you all took the time to listen to the three of us talk and ramble our way through some good Hero Realms strategy and discussion. Um, a reminder that in the show notes will be a link for our first promo giveaway. So... If you want a chance at winning those promo cards, go. It will be a Google form. You just sign in and put your IGN and contact email in. We'll contact you if you win. So check that out. Have a good week or two until we record and you hear our stupid voices again. <laughs> and hopefully right. I can redeem my horrible HRPC performance that Matt, you know, had to pay me back. For giving him crap about so yeah you'll have two weeks in everyone. the internet to, to figure it out yeah <laughs> thanks everyone for listening no that's it um this was a really fun one we had some great conversation really uh love hanging out with you guys on the cast here i'd also uh really love anyone to tune in for my stream wednesdays at 8 30 central we have a super great time we do viewer made challenges i'm trying to feature the lua scripting that people are doing custom scripts agency 13 and user cafe the most right now um, i know game freaks dabbling so uh come to the stream and check that out cool yeah I, as soon as that lua stuff comes available for mac i'm on it too i'm just i can't and i can't get steam to run the Mac or the uh, Windows Steam to run on my Mac yet, so I, I'm sure. I will be in Lua too. So, as soon as so Matt, I got a Mac now, and I'm looking into stuff, and I'll share. I've come <laughs> close with you. a few port porting kits, but I still can't get it to work yet. Anyway, yeah. Um, all right, uh, thank you everybody for joining us once again, episode fourteen. Hope you found some useful information. Got a few laughs. Hopefully. Or, you know, at least we're able to spend spend some time together with us without fully regretting uh, the loss of time. Have a great couple of weeks. We will see you again uh, in two weeks. In the meantime, enjoy the this wonderful game we all love to play. Uh, hop on the Discord, jump uh, in the discussions and chat, throw in a, your own WWID uh, situation. Uh, enjoy the community, be an active participant, and enjoy loving the game that we all love so much. Have a great week, everybody. See you next time. You made it to the end of the show. Congratulations. You're a nerd. Tune into the next episode of Sparks and Recreation for more on community events, meta-analysis, and everything Hero Realms.